Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. I am really excited. This is my excited face, in case you did not know. I am really excited, and when uh, Pastor Rocky asked me to speak this morning, his specific request was this, would you be willing to kick off the Christmas season by speaking on the first Sunday of December, and that's when I got really pumped up. It's always an honor. I always love speaking on Sundays, but especially now, because I love Christmas. Anybody else, you just love Christmas? It's like half and half. If you love Christmas, just raise your hand, maybe. Maybe you're not as expressive. Maybe, okay. So most of the room. All right, so, but here's what I want to do. I know that there are a ton of different traditions that different families have. Everybody kind of celebrates in their own way, and so I kind of want to take the temperature of a room, and so I'm going to poll the audience real quickly. So just by a show of hands, I'm going to ask a few questions on which way you prefer to celebrate Christmas, because the first thing that I think of when I think of Christmas, uh, as far as traditions go, would be what kind of tree you put in your house. There are real trees, and there are fake trees, and so artificial, I think, is the politically correct way to say it. Now, we don't say fake trees. That would offend somebody that has a fake tree. So Um, those of you in the room that prefer real Christmas trees in your home, raise your hand, please. All right. Okay. Uh, how about Christmas lights, clear lights, multicolor lights. How many of you guys like the multicolor lights? Raise your hand, multicolor lights. All right. Um, good. And I asked this question a few weeks ago, and just in case you weren't here, I want to get a sense of this too. Uh, there are some people that fully believe that you can decorate whenever you want for Christmas. Thanksgiving is just another day on the calendar, and it doesn't matter if you do it before or after. Some people are really, really strict about this. So if you are a person that fully believes that you are free to decorate and start celebrating Christmas before Thanksgiving, just raise your hand. Raise your hand all over this place. All right. Good. It's good. Full disclosure, I'll just tell you some of the traditions that we have because I asked you to answer the questions. It'd be not fair for me to not answer those same questions. So in our house, we do a real Christmas tree. I'm not saying that you're doing it wrong if you have an artificial tree. I'm saying, no, actually I am saying, you're doing it wrong if you have an artificial tree because listen to what you're missing out on. You go and you spend a good amount of money on some plastic stuff that stays out for a month and then you put it back up in the attic and it lives there for 11 months out of the year. We do it the right way where we go to this place where there are all these Christmas trees in this one tent and then you guys that have artificial trees, you don't know what I'm about to explain. Those of you that bought real trees, you get it. But you, don't, you miss the opportunity of going into that tent and arguing with your spouse which tree is the best tree of all the trees, right? Because that happens every single time. Well, no, that one has a big bear spot, right? And like, not bear, like, roar, bear, like, bald spot right in the middle of that tree. And, and, you know, so we fight about it, and then we bring it home, and then there's pine needles everywhere, right? And then you're constantly, for the entire month, you're just sweeping pine needles, and, and like, you know, your house starts to smell like the outside, like you bring in something that was alive, and then you bring it inside when it's dead, and then it just slowly dies in front of you all Christmas long. <laughs> it's the reason for the season, right? We do uh, all clear lights in our house as well. So we do a real tree. We do clear lights. Uh, I have nothing against like all the different colors and stuff. I'm just a little bit too um, particular. Uh, maybe OCD would be kind of a term to describe how I am about like uh, 
patterns and repetition and things like that, so it would mess me up if the lights were not in the exact sequential order. I mean, let's be really honest. I've worked for Pastor Rocky McKinley for almost 12 years now. If you work with him for that long and you're not a little OCD after that, you haven't really worked with him that long, right? And so... I've kind of picked that up, and so we just do all clear lights and don't have to worry about it. And we absolutely believe that we do not and should not decorate or celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving. There is something that is just so strange to me personally about eating turkey, watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade, watching football, talking about pilgrims, and being grateful for all that God has given us while there's a Christmas tree over in that corner. There's just something that doesn't feel right about that. To me personally, that's how we celebrate Christmas. I know that everybody's different, and whether you have a 15-foot real or artificial tree in your house, or you've got the Charlie Brown tree stuck in the corner somewhere, it doesn't really matter because Christmas is an amazing time of year. I love Christmas. Christmas so much. I love Christmas so much, I kind of get a little giddy about it. And if you know me, you know that is totally out of character for me. I heard a couple of amens, some loud ones, and I heard a little bit, but I'm going to move on. It's just out of character for me to get super excited. I'm pretty kind of like, like, you know, like just straight line, not a lot of peaks and valleys. And in fact, I was reading this uh, study that was done. This was an actual scientific study that people paid money to conduct, right? And they were, they were conducting this study on coffee drinkers. That's what got my attention. I love coffee. Any coffee drinkers in the house? <laughs> you're highly caffeinated already, and that's why you're excited about it. So this study... Uh, did some research on coffee drinkers, and they were trying to figure out if there were any links between the way a person takes their coffee with their personality. And so what they discovered through all this research, this isn't like a, a Facebook thing where like, you know, your coffee type matches your personality type. This was a legitimate study at a university, which is beyond me, but they did this study and they figured this out, that if you enjoy putting a lot of sugar in your coffee, or if you're not a coffee drinker, if you just like sweet drinks, just in general, that that is reflective of your personality. And that generally, overall, that if you like a lot of sugar in your coffee, that you are a sweet person. And it went beyond that to talk about that that not only means that you're sweet, but that you like enjoy life. Like you're kind of like live in the moment. You're kind of like, you know, glass is half full, maybe even the life of the party. You just love enjoying things. Like if coffee was an Enneagram, then sugar would be the seven in the Enneagram number, if any of you would follow the Enneagram scale. And I, I know that some of you put a ton of sugar in your coffee because I stand back there where the coffee is on Sundays and I watch you. And some of you have no shame at all. You'll take all 20 packs and just rip them all like a grenade and just dump it all in your coffee. Some of you do like two at a time, but you're sneaky, but I see you because you rip like two at a time. You put them in there, you throw them away. You talk to somebody, you grab another two, and then you put those in there, and 15 later, you're still adding it. You know, the sugar has now overcome the top of the coffee, right? This study was very interesting to me. The more sweetness you like in your coffee, the sweeter you are as a person, and the more outgoing, exuberant, full of life you are. I drink coffee black. So that should tell you everything you need to know about me. But the exception is, I drink coffee black 11 months out of 12 of the year, but in December, it's hot chocolate with marshmallows because I'm all in on Christmas. I love it. I love it. I am all in on Christmas except for one thing. One thing I have no patience for, and I make no exceptions for this any time of the year, And that is something that my family continues to try to bring in my house, and I continue to banish it from my domain, glitter. 
Christmas is celebrating the birth of Jesus, and glitter is straight from the pit of hell, and they should not be in the same place at the same time. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. If you get nothing else out of this today, that's, that's just straight from the Word of God somewhere. I don't know where, and I'll make it up if I have to. But I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited and humbled and honored to share God's Word with you today. As we open up this Christmas season, we love Christmas here at DCC. We celebrate a ton. We do a lot of things, but we always make sure that we come back around what Christmas is really all about. And so today's message is called Kingdom Come. And we're going to start by reading Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. It'll be on the screen if you want to cheat along. That's fine, too. And just to give you a little backstory, because the part of Christmas and the, the chapters in Luke that we're really familiar with this time of year is Luke chapter 2 with the events of the birth of Jesus, right? And we know about the manger, and we know about the angels, and we know about the shepherds. We know about all that stuff. And so if that's kind of the, the main scene for Christmas, then Luke chapter 1 is kind of like the origin story. It's kind of like the prequel to all of those things that are about to happen. And what we're seeing here, what we're reading, is this account of the angel that comes to Mary to give her the information that she is going to carry and give birth to the Savior of the world. And when this angel shows up, of course she's afraid, and so this conversation is the angel reassuring her and then telling her what's about to happen. And so we'll pick up in verse 30. Luke chapter 1 and verse 30, it says this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Can we read that part together that's underlined on the screen behind me? And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this time of year. I thank you for the celebration of the birth of your son, Jesus. I pray that as we read your word, that it would just illuminate the path that you want us to live. God, that you would just show us how much you love us to the point of sending your son for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we find in Luke chapter 1 that this is just this, this telling of the, the part of the Christmas story where the, the birth of Jesus, the birth of the Savior is imminent and that Mary's going to have a part in this. And this is a huge deal. This isn't just a huge deal for Christianity's sake. This is a huge deal on the, the historical scale, right? Because this is an event that the angel is telling Mary about that has been prophesied about and foretold for centuries before this moment. The Jewish people, all of them, are looking for and looking forward to a Savior coming to rescue them and to save them. Because if the Jewish people know anything at all in life, it's that they know oppression. They know what slavery is like. They know what it's like to have no freedom at all and have somebody else reign over your life. And so throughout all these years and all these stories and all of these scripture readings, they're told over and over again, there's a king that's coming. And when he comes, he's going to establish his kingdom. When his kingdom comes, it's not going to be oppression. It's going to be freedom. You're not going to have to worry about being slaves. You're going to be free and there's going to be justice. And you're not going to have to worry about the things that you worry about in your life right now. 
And especially in the cultural climate where Jesus enters into our world as a baby boy, we realize that at that point in time, Palestine and, and the Jews that were living there was controlled by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, if you know anything about history at all, was ruthless. And they just took over and consumed nation after nation after nation. And so this Jewish people that was living in this area at this time, they were not even able to make their own laws and rules. They had this other nation, this other empire occupying their territory, their land, and telling them what they could and couldn't do. They were charging them taxes that the Jewish people never got to see because all of those taxes went to Rome and to Caesar. They were having to follow laws that were not applicable to them in their faith and what they are used to and what they are accustomed to. They're, they're now like having all of these other rules and laws enforced on them, and the Roman Empire is just merciless. I mean, public executions. It was a terrible, terrible time to be alive in that area. And so if at no other time in history I can imagine that Jewish people were hanging on to so much hope that someday soon this king has got to show up. This king has got to come because it can't get much worse. We can't be oppressed much more than we're being oppressed right now. And we know that the promise is coming. We know that it's going to happen. And so it, it, it's got to be here. Like the expectation for a king, for a savior, for this kingdom was at an all-time high. They were anticipating this prince born in a palace, but what they got instead was a baby in a barn. It was not at all what they were expecting. They were expecting royalty. They were expecting someone with a, a ton of influence to come in and change socio-political structure. They were expecting a warrior who was going to fight for them, and instead they get Jesus born in a barn. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, something that's so familiar with us around this time of year tells us that, that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You see, the expectations of the Jewish people did not match at all how Jesus arrived. And just the very arrival, the circumstances of Jesus showing up to earth, all God, all man, showing up to earth the way that he did in a very unexpected kind of upside-down way should really kind of clue us in that this king is not your average king. This king is not the king that you were expecting, which would in turn allow us to suggest that the kingdom is not going to be exactly what we thought the kingdom was going to be. You see, they, they knew what they wanted, and when, when Jesus arrived on the scene, it didn't match up to their expectations, but I have found in my life that God rarely shows up in my life the way that I think he should or in the time frame that I think he should, but it is absolutely always the way that I need. And that is exactly how Jesus shows up. It's not the way that people were hoping for. It's not the people that people were anticipating, but it was the way that we needed him to be here. They thought they were getting a warrior to fight their battles, and God instead gives us his presence in the form of a baby who is absolutely the king. And we know that Jesus is indeed the king, but we also know that he traded his crown for the cross, and that the end scene of his life on earth here, after 33 years of living and after over three years of ministering and healing people and doing miracles and teaching and preaching and discipling, that at the end of his life here on earth, it ends very similarly to how he is introduced to humanity in the first place, because we read about in Luke chapter 23 and verse 53, this man named Joseph, who was a seeker of the kingdom, 
is what Luke's gospel says, that he asks for Jesus' body, and here's how he treats Jesus' body after Jesus had breathed his last breath on that cross. This is what happens. It says that he took him down and wrapped him in a linen shroud. Some translations say a cloth and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. There are a lot of theologians and historians that agree on the fact that the manger scene looks a lot different than we would assume that it looks now. We're familiar with a manger kind of looking like this picture behind me of a wooden structure with some straw and some hay and the, the baby Jesus kind of laid in there. But, but most historians agree that the barn was probably more like a cave and the, the, the manger was more like a trough that was cut out of stone. It was just all this big stone structure and this trough was kind of just cut out of stone and that's where Jesus was laid when he was a baby. And so Jesus arrives on this earth and his mother wraps him in cloth and places him on this stone manger. And after Jesus' death, his body is taken down and he's wrapped in cloth again and placed on stone. But we should know something by this point, right? That when you wrap Jesus up in cloth and place him on stone, that is only the beginning. That is only the beginning of what Jesus is about to do because we know that that tomb was just a speed bump for Jesus, right? We know that he didn't stay in that tomb. He's the only one to ever borrow or rent a tomb. He didn't need it for very long. And so he rose again from the grave, securing the kingdom of God for us in eternity forever. And if we believe in him and we confess him as the Lord of our life, then we get to spend eternity in the kingdom of heaven with him forever. And so we know that this is very much part of the kingdom of God that, bring, that, that Jesus brings that's going to last forever. This kingdom of God in eternity. Jesus coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sin, being risen from the grave, and, and, and supplying us with eternal life. But when we look at the life of Jesus between Christmas and the cross— the life that he lived and how it's recorded, we start to get a sense that the kingdom of God is not just about our eternal placement. It's not just about what happens after this life is over. Because when Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God, when he's teaching his disciples or when he's preaching or when he's just living his life in a way that, that would offer us clues on what the kingdom of God looks like, we find that the kingdom of God is mentioned 126 times just in the gospels alone. And most of the time when Jesus starts to talk about the kingdom of God or he starts to live these things out, it starts looking a little different than the way that we're used to doing life. Because Jesus starts preaching things like this, that we should love our enemies that if somebody hits us, that we should turn the other cheek and give them a chance to hit us again. That if somebody requires us to do something, even if we don't want to do it, that we shouldn't just live up to their expectations, that we should go the extra mile. That in order to find real life, we've got to lose our life. That we're supposed to love people who hate us. That we're supposed to free the oppressed. That we're supposed to be light in the dark. You see, Jesus' kingdom the kingdom of God that Jesus brought to earth in that manger is not just about our eternity in heaven. It's really about a new way of living while we're here on this earth. And every time that Jesus teaches and preaches and talks about the kingdom of God, it gets a little uncomfortable for us. If we can just be really honest, it gets uncomfortable. Because every time Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's really about talking about us humbling ourselves and making some space in our lives for Jesus to be the Lord in charge of our lives. It's really about us just, just making space and pushing some other things out of the way so that we can really invite God in and we can really allow Jesus to be the king of our life right here on earth, not just in eternity in heaven, but right now where we're living. 
Have you ever been in that moment in life where you've had your phone in your hand and you've been ready to capture video or take a picture of a extremely important moment of your life, right? Maybe you're at your kid's recital or soccer game or whatever, and you're getting ready to film them, or you're taking that family picture around the Christmas tree, or you just ordered a really amazing meal and you need everybody in the world to see it, and so you wanna take a picture of it before somebody messes up the plate, right? And you go to take that picture, you go to record that video, and that little message pops up on your phone screen, and it says, storage is full. Is there a worse feeling in the world than that right there, right? I mean, what is your first reaction? Never mind. Second reaction. What's your second reaction? We know what the first reaction is. You blame Apple or Android or whoever for not putting enough storage in your phone. And then you start doing what? You start clearing out space because you realize that you want new things in this phone that you have and you've got to get rid of some other things. You've got to either back them up or you've got to delete them. You've got to get them out of the way. And so you start going through your pictures and your videos and you start prioritizing. And you say, I took 500 of that one selfie. I only need one. I'll get rid of 499. I don't need this picture of this thing. I don't need all these screenshot. I don't need all this. I don't need all this. You start deleting, 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 deleting because you need to make room for this new thing that's coming into your life that you want to caption, that you want to have forever, right? And, and I really feel like us as Jesus followers, that, that that's kind of the approach that we've got to take this Christmas season, that, that Jesus wants to be the Lord of our lives, that Jesus wants his kingdom to infiltrate our lives, but sometimes our lives are so full of just clutter and chaos, and there's no margin in our lives. And so I feel like maybe if nothing else, maybe this Christmas season, we should just take an inventory of our lives and figure out, are there some things that we just need to delete? Are there some things that we need to get rid of because we need to make space for the king to come in and establish his kingdom, not only in eternity, but in our lives right here and right now? It makes me think that maybe Isaac Watts, who wrote the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, in the 18th century had it right when he said, let every heart prepare him room. It is our opportunity this season to prepare our hearts, to make some space, to make some room, to invite the king in to our lives, to be in charge of our lives, so that we can in turn bring God's presence and God's kingdom with us wherever we go but we've gotta make that room. We have to make that choice to allow God to, to control our lives and invite Jesus to be the king and create his kingdom. And when we do that, we are living the way that we were created to live. You see, we were created to live in the presence of God. We were created to live in the kingdom of God in eternity and in this life. And not only were we created to live in the kingdom of God, but we were created to bring the kingdom of God to earth in the way that we treat other people, in the way that we live like Jesus lived, in the way that we put God first, in the way that we make space and invite him into our lives as the king and as the Lord of our lives. We are inviting the kingdom of God to this earth. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine just the other night, and, and, and I want to just preface this. this. This friend of mine was not saying all these things to brag on himself at all. If you can know his heart and, and how humble he was when he was telling me, he was just asking me a couple of questions. But he told me that a couple weeks ago, he and his family saw this woman outside of the parking lot of the mall, and she was panhandling for money, and she was pregnant, and she was young. And he felt compassion on her, and so they, you know, scrounged up a couple bucks and handed it to her, and he said they drove off. And they thought that they had done the, the right thing, a good thing. And we would all agree in this room, nobody's going to say that that was the wrong thing to do. That's a good thing. It's a noble thing. It's an honorable thing. And as he's driving down the road, he just starts feeling like he's supposed to go back. He just starts feeling like, that wasn't all I'm supposed to do. God wants me to do something else. 
So they go back and they park the car and he and his wife get out and start talking to this woman, this young woman who's pregnant, homeless, just panhandling for money. They start talking to her and ask about where's the father of the baby, is he in the picture? And she said, yeah, he's, he's at the next exit of the mall and he's panhandling, hand, panhandling for money too, just trying to get enough to stay somewhere tonight. And my, my friend's telling me the story. He's, he's kind of got some reluctancy. You know how sometimes when God asks you to do something big and it, it stretches you a little bit, it's uncomfortable, you do it, but you're kind of reluctant about it. You're like, all right, fine. You know, like that's kind of the, that's kind of the attitude he was having. It's like, fine, I'll do something, you know, like I'm not being happy about it, but I'll be obedient about it, right? Like that's somehow going to make it better, you know? It's like when your kid cleans their room, but they stomp out of the house first, you know, or out of the room first. It's kind of the same thing that we do with God. And so he's kind of having this internal discussion with God, and finally he just is like, you know what, God wants us to do something extravagant, and so he put them up in a hotel room, and, and, and we would think, wow, that's amazing, and that's great, and they got to sleep inside, they got to sleep indoors, and, and had a hot meal and all that kind of stuff. But my friend just felt like there was more, and so he started asking about the job situation, and, and, and you know, had, does, is he able to work? Is this man able to work? And he tells my friend that he has no identification at all, none. And so you can't get a job without an ID. And so there was just kind of like this cycle that he's trapped in. He can't get a job, so he can't make money, so he can't get a place to live. And so this cycle is just going to continue to happen. And my friend sees and knows what's going to happen if the cycle continues because these, this couple's only like 18, 19 years old. And so he spends a ton of time and, and calls in all the resources and all the people that he knows and, and, and figures out a way to get this man's uh, identification, his social security number. He secures him a job. They go through a, a charity organization, get them a place to live. And so they're now indoors. They're living in a place that's covered, the rent's covered for a few months. The man's working. Uh, and, and so like things are starting to improve. They're starting to talk about getting married before the baby is due next month. I mean, just this total change that's happened in this young couple's life. And one of the things that stood out to me the most about this conversation I was having with this friend of mine is he said, we had them over to our home for Thanksgiving. And so we're all standing around at Thanksgiving and, um, you know, they're just looking around, and my friend's telling me the guy has told him thank you a hundred times up to this point. Like, he just came in the house saying, thank you so much, thank you so much, so grateful. And then he said to my friend, he looked around the room, and he saw this family, he saw food on the table, he saw this home, he saw everybody gathered around together, and he said, 10, 15 years from now, this is going to be me. I'm going to have this. 10 or 15 years from now, this is going to be me. And I thought, man, what this friend of mine did, just in a little bit of obedience and a little bit more obedience and a little bit more obedience, is what he did is he introduced this man and this woman and their soon-to-be child to the kingdom of God. He had enough space in his life, and he allowed God to move enough and be the Lord of his life to listen to those promptings. And he was able to introduce somebody to the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about their, their eternal situation yet. They're still talking about Jesus and the relationship with Jesus and all that stuff, but I know that without a shadow of a doubt that they have experienced God's presence. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that they have seen the presence of God because the kingdom of God is not just about where we spend eternity, it's how we live our lives here. We're not just called to accept and believe in Jesus and then just wait till we get to the the finish line, we're supposed to do some things here on this earth so that we can bring God's kingdom here. But what does that look like? Let's be really practical today. Can we be practical today? Like if, if some of you are thinking, man, if it, if it means that I'm going to have to 
provide a hotel room and like all these resources to a homeless family. I just don't know if I have that. I don't know if I can do that. And I'm not saying that it looks the same for everybody, but I'm saying that when we make space in our lives and we invite the presence of God into our lives, that we can bring the kingdom with us everywhere we go. We can bring the kingdom of God into our homes, into our jobs, into our families. We can bring the kingdom with us. Just think about it. Just by, by simply loving our spouse as well and serving them and caring for their needs above our own, we bring the kingdom of God with us. When we parent our children well and we love our children and we teach them how to follow Jesus, we're bringing the kingdom of God to our kids. When we value character and integrity on our jobs and don't cut corners and we stop seeing coworkers and bosses as people to step on or people to impress and we start looking to them as people that we can love, instead of just trying to get a promotion, then we're bringing God's kingdom where we are. When we decide to create some margin in our lives and not be overscheduled, we're bringing the kingdom of God to earth. When we put on red t-shirts that say serve team on them and we go all throughout our surrounding communities and we serve people without looking for anything in return, we are bringing the kingdom of God here. When we give and don't expect anything in return. We are bringing God's kingdom here. And when we bring the kingdom of God to earth, when we live this way, we find everything that we've been searching for in our lives. I love how Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 6, 33, when he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, don't worry about all these other things that you feel like you have to worry about and stress about. Here's what you need to focus on. Focus on bringing the kingdom of God here. Focus on loving people that hate you. Focus on turning the other cheek. Focus on other people's needs more than your own. And when you do that, all those other things that you're worried about, they're all gonna happen. They're going to take, be taken care of. That peace that you're seeking, freedom that you're seeking, justice, hope, the very presence of God is found when we seek first the kingdom that Jesus established thousands of years ago by coming as a baby as we get to celebrate Christmas here in just a few weeks. But what so easily happens to us as Christians, and maybe just me, but what so easily happens to me is that we start to want the kingdom without the king. We start to want all of the benefits that the kingdom brings without the accountability of submitting to the king. Essentially, we want the promise without the presence of God, right? And so what we do is we start seeking all of those and all of these things will be added unto you. We start seeking those apart from the source and we try to go after peace and we try to go after freedom and we try to go after those warm, fuzzy feelings and we try to go after being fulfilled and we try to find them in a ton of different ways through just relationships or maybe substances or just filling our lives so full that we don't have a moment to even be alone with God, whatever that is, we, we try to seek the kingdom without allowing the king in. And when that happens, when we don't allow Jesus to have that rightful place of kingship in our lives, we are going to continue to be anxious and exhausted and unfulfilled, and we're going to continue to be searching for direction and find no direction. Jesus is already on the throne of eternity, but we've got to make that conscious decision to place him on the throne of our lives. And I just really feel like maybe some of you have placed your eternity in God's hands, but you haven't placed tomorrow in God's hands. You've accepted this relationship with Jesus Christ, but you've never really moved to the side and made space and invited him to be the Lord of your life. You've said, I believe all the things that, that Jesus said, and I believe that, that, that Jesus is the only way. I believe all those things. 
And I believe that, that when this life is over, that I'm going to get to spend eternity with him, but, but God wants something more for you. God wants us to experience his presence, his kingdom, right here, right now, where we live, to bring his kingdom here. It's the reason why Jesus tells us so often that to find our lives, we have to lose them. Because when we, when we choose to step off the throne of our own life and we allow Jesus to be the king, then we find the fullness of life that we have always been looking for. We're all searching for it. We're all looking for it. And it's found nowhere else except in the kingdom that Jesus brought on that first Christmas. Now I realize that for some of you in this room, this Christmas is not something to look forward to. I can tell you this has been something that's just been really, really heavy on my heart because I know that some of you, as, as we're talking about Christmas lights and trees and talking about traditions, I realize that that does not get everybody anticipating a great time. And that could be for a, a bunch of different reasons. Maybe for you, it's because you're, you just flip the calendar on December and you're looking at the next few weeks and you just realize that it's gonna be just a, a blur of activity. You're gonna be so busy. And maybe one of your tendencies is, is just to fill up all of your time. Or maybe your tendency is just to, to go out and spend as much money as you possibly can this year. Or maybe for you, you're not really looking forward to Christmas at all because you're gonna to have to be around people that you don't enjoy being around. Maybe for you, it's even more than just, I don't really like that person. We don't really get along. That person in my family, we kind of clash. Maybe it's, no, no, my, my family treats me terribly, and I know that I'm going to have to see some of them this time of year. And still yet, I think that there's probably some of you in this room that you're not looking forward to Christmas at all because this is going to be the first or the second or the 10th or the 20th without that person that you lost. And if you could just fast forward the next 20-some days and just get to the 26th, you'd be completely fine with that. But can I just encourage all of us in this room to just simply put our hope and our trust, not in the things that we can see, and not even in the people around us, but in the kingdom of God that is eternal. Because when the world moves around us like crazy, and when the world turns upside down, when everything starts shaking, the hope that we have is in a king who conquered death, hell, and the grave. I love that we can find such peace in Jesus' words, even when he is at the end of his earthly life, because the night that Jesus is arrested, he's standing in front of Pilate, and Pilate is trying to get to the bottom of why the Jewish people hate him so much. And he's asking, are you really the king? Are you really the king? Are you really the king? And he's pressing him and he's pressing him and he's pressing him. And Jesus' simple answer, I think, speaks so clearly to us, especially this holiday season, depending on what you're facing. He says this in John chapter 18 and verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. And then for emphasis, it says it again, but my kingdom is not from this world. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It's not from this world. His ways are higher than our ways. And if we will just commit to making some space in our lives and inviting the king to be the king, then we'll be able to carry that kingdom with us 
We'll be able to introduce people to what that kingdom really looks like. And in introducing the kingdom of God to the people that we come in contact with, we will find on the other side of that the peace, the joy, the hope, the justice that we all seek. So let's put our faith not in the things that we can see, but in the eternal kingdom of God. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.